When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome back to the show where every week we go exploring in the pursuit of awesome. You can count on us to keep you informed of all the best shiny things out there when we share our awesome of the week. In each episode, we also take your questions and bring you the answers you need to help you uncover all the awesome within your own life. You all are in for a treat this week. I am absolutely thrilled that this week's special guest co-host is my dear friend, Sarah Bessie. Sarah is a longtime blogger who can be found at sarahbessie.com, and she's a much-beloved speaker and author of both Jesus Feminist and the soon-to-be-released book, Out of Sorts, Making Peace with an Evolving Faith. She also happens to be one of my most favorite people on this whole entire planet. So yes, I am a bit giddy that she is joining us today. Sarah's going to share more about herself and her work later in the show. I've got some very important questions for her, like what her go-to lipstick is and what she counts amongst her guiltiest pleasures. But first, we're going to start the show the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. Sarah, what do you have for us this week? Well, aside from like flailing and squealing over actually being here. I'm so happy to be here, Megan. I'm Thank so you for happy having you're here. Me. Yes, absolutely. Oh, my stars. I can't figure out if I am, you know, if Sorta Awesome has like ruined my life or been like one of the best things for me because every time you guys say something, I go buy it. <laughs> and every time you say that a show is good, I go watch it. <laughs> It's like my life has just been very much enriched. I mean, oh, Sephora I has it. never seen me so much. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. Oh, so I'm so happy to be here. Um, so my awesome of the week this week is a show that I believe is new for a lot of your listeners because I know most of your listeners are American. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a show that just came onto Netflix for the Americans. Okay. That's what I read in the news. So that's why I wanted to tell you guys all about it. Yes. The Great British Bake Off. Oh, I've heard of this. Okay, you have? All right. I've heard I feel of it. Like but almost not... nobody's heard of it. It's like nine, seven or eight seasons in. Yes. And it's just now kind of coming stateside for everyone. I love this show. I am not a big baker. I am not a big cooker. I don't really watch the Food Network a whole lot. I find contest and reality shows really stressful. Very stressful. <laughs> I agree. Yes. So, 
<laughs> you know, not only just for like the timed element and the panic of it, but even for the um, like the interpersonal relationships and the sniping and the, all that kind of stuff. So the Great British Bake Off, it is hosted by Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood. Cannot make these names up. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> they are amazing people. And so it's in this big tent and it's bright and beautiful. It is a confection of a show. Oh, wow. It, it's just like a delight. They do like technical challenges, things you've never heard of. It is bizarre. It is dramatic, but it is delightful. It is something that you want to watch when you like on a Saturday morning or when you're just kind of wanting to sort of relax. It is, it is like icing. I love everything about that show. It's so fun. That is amazing. I actually have only heard of it because another podcast that I listen to regularly, NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, the main host, Linda Holmes, has mentioned this. It's been several months, and I think I do remember her saying that it was hard to access for those of us who are here in the States, but she just went on and on about it. I trust her taste implicitly as I trust your taste, so I can't wait. So it's on our Netflix now. It is. It is. The last season um, that just happened, I think, I want to say it's season seven that just happened. It was everything that's wonderful in the world. And so if you stay with it, um, the, you know, the, the people who are the contestants, it's like, there's nobody you're really cheering against. Oh, right. Like everybody's just very genuine and, um, you know, very interesting and, and kind of quirky, but in a really great eccentric sort of way, instead of a, I really hate that person. I want to vote them off the Island kind of way. Right. So it's a good one. Good. I will totally have to check that out. I do not usually watch the long running competition ones. I'm more like, like I like Chopped. I don't know if you've watched the US show Chopped, but it's like one episode, you know, those four chefs and, you know, bam, bam, bam. And then there's a winner. But the long ones, I feel like sometimes, like you said, it gets a little stressful and there's lots of drama going on in addition to what they're doing. But I mean, this one sounds fantastic. So I will It is delightful. Yes, I'm totally going to check it out. Thank (laughs) you for that one. Sarah, I'm sure that everybody is going to be checking that out as well. Um, Mine this week, I am not only beaming because my dear friend Sarah is on the show, but also I am still just, I have residual happiness and joy because this morning I got to go to a concert that my daughter, Daisy, was playing in. I've referenced this several times on the show, but Daisy's in an after-school orchestra program that's called El Sistema of Oklahoma, and she's done this since she was in third grade, and she's in fifth grade now. So this is her third year of orchestra, and this morning they had a little concert that was just the sort of the top orchestra, the highest level orchestra. So it's all students who are in anywhere from fourth to eighth grade. And the longest that any of them have been playing their instruments are like Daisy have been playing for, you know, this is just into their third year of orchestra. They played at the Oklahoma Music Educators Conference down at Oklahoma City University. And I have to tell you, Sarah, this was the first time that I watched those kids and a lot of them, I've just watched them grow up alongside Daisy with their instruments. Daisy plays the bass when she first got her bass, her big double bass. I mean, it just towered over her. (laughs) I love everything about the fact that she plays bass. Yes, yes, yes. And so she has grown into it. I've watched these kids grow up. You know how late elementary into middle school, you know, it's just like so dear. It's such, yeah. (laughs) 
such a dear time in a child's life, and I've watched them grow up with their instruments. So this morning they played three pieces. One was composed um, specifically for them. Another was composed by a, a group of the actual students. Some, wow. Some of the students composed a really cool, just like a creative piece. And then they played a Beethoven piece at the end. piece was over. It was very dramatic. At the end of the uh, big climax at the end, I mean, I just had tears just pouring because it was just, ah, just watching your child or really anybody that you love really find their thing and just go after it no matter how hard or how challenging the work is has just, oh my gosh, it is continually inspiring to me. We've had probably one of her most challenging school years yet in that she has a ton of homework. So her daily schedule is she gets up and goes to school at eight. Right after school, they get on a bus and go over to the orchestra site, uh, work on music and music theory and composition theory and all of those things until six. I bring her home, we eat dinner. Sometimes she has an hour of homework after dinner and then it's time for shower and bed. And so her schedule is really intense, but through all this whole school year, she has not complained about it. She has just kept her chin mm. up. And then so to see them play this morning and just to see the growth that all of these kids have gone through as musicians has just, I don't know, it was just chill bumps all over the place. Oh, I love that. I love when you see people, especially kids, just come alive with something they love to do. It yes. just, I feel like I love the thing better because they love it. Yes, right? absolutely. Absolutely. I I played piano for a few years and did vocal music, but music was never like really my thing. But to see her really just find her niche in this and to just take off with it has been amazing. So I'm still just giddy over this morning's concert. <laughs> you are beaming, I will say. <laughs> your smile, I can see your molars. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's true. I'm a proud mama today for oh. sure. Okay. Well, Sarah, since I've got you here, I have got some questions that we're going to get to here in just a minute. But before we start into any of that, I just wanted to share a little bit more about you with listeners. I know tons of our listeners know who Sarah Bessie is. They are familiar with your work. I'm going to read some of your own words describing yourself, <laughs> which I'm sure you're delighted about. But these, this paragraph I grabbed off of your about page on your blog. I love it because it so beautifully captures who you are and who I know you to be. You wrote about yourself, I'm one of those happy, clappy Jesus followers with stars in our eyes, to which I just want to say, yes, me too. (laughs) I'm a kingdom of God-focused woman, postmodern liberal to the conservative and conservative to the liberal in matters of both religion and politics. Not an easy task, I assure you. A social justice wannabe trying to do some good and a non-denominational charismatic recovering know-it-all, slowly falling back in love with the church. For those of you who are into this sort of thing, I'm an INFJ and an Enneagram 9. So those are some words that I just love. They just really resound for me. First of all, we're both Enneagram 9s, so I love that. 
And as an ENFP, we we adore our INFJs, and I count INFJs among some of my very closest friends. So that's so fun. I would love for you, Sarah, to take just a few minutes. This is something that I often ask my guest hosts to do. If you could just kind of give us your five-minute life story so all of us have a little bit of context as we listen to you share about your life. Sure. Uh, well, I'm Canadian. Yes. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's one thing. Um, so I was uh, born in Canada, raised in Canada. My family is, is entirely Canadian. Um, and so I was born in the prairies in Saskatchewan. And uh, as a kid, we moved out to Winnipeg and lived there for a few years and then ended up in Calgary, Alberta, which is just right in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And that's kind of where I consider home. That's where I graduated from high school. That's where I learned to drive, you know, that all that kind of stuff. So I had one sister, and she's only uh, 25 months younger than I am, and has been my best friend. My mom spent almost all of uh, her pregnancy telling me that she was coming home with a best friend for me, and so I was only two. I think my very first actual memory is like hanging over the side of her bassinet going, you're my very best friend. Oh. You're my very best friend. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Oh, and so that has never really deviated. We've always had more of like a a relationship of equals, like when we were, you know, we ran in the same circles. We were friends. We uh, went to university together. We were roommates. We shared a room. And so even now, she lives five minutes away. And all of our kids were born in the same amount of time. And they don't know the difference between siblings and cousins. And it's just still still carrying on. <laughs> it's the great love affair of my life, really, oh, my sister. <laughs> I love it. That is so amazing. And we could not be more opposite, too. I think that's maybe what helps. <laughs> Definitely, yes. <laughs> For instance, like, I'm a, I'm a blogger and everything. And she's, like, not even on Facebook. She refuses to <laughs> Facebook does not do Instagram, nothing. She's like the yin to my yang in every way. Right, right. And so, yes. Anyway, so I have one sister. Uh, my parents have been married for about 40 years now. They were high school sweethearts, first generation Christians uh, in a lot of ways. And so when I was 18, I moved to the States to go to university. I decided that I really wanted to go to a Christian school. Didn't really, hadn't really grown up in a context that had a lot of Christian higher education or anything like that. And so I was like, you know what? I'll just give that a go for a couple of years. I was 18. Like I look back on that now and I'm like, what in the actual? Really? I mean, honestly, Sarah, as I think about my kids going off to school, I mean, you went to a different country so far away like from home. before email, before cell phones, before before any of that kind of stuff was happening. So it's like when you moved, you moved, you right? Moved. And so you were gone. Yes. Gone, 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 gone. I moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I've spent some time in your home state right, and uh, yes. up in the, the northeast corner of it. Uh, total culture shock, uh, absolute culture shock in every way <laughs> you can experience it. But I loved it and I really enjoyed it. Ended up meeting my husband, Brian, there, uh, who's from Nebraska. He's an Omaha boy. And so we met and fell in love and that completely derailed both of our plans. Uh, and we ended up getting married and we moved to South Texas in a town just outside of um where you were at yes. the time, which you and I have often talked about the fact that we kind of kept almost leapfrogging with each other in our lives. So I the know. same year as you were in San Marcos, I was in a town called New Braunfels, um, just outside of San Antonio. And and that was where we lived for a few years. My husband was in ministry. Uh, I was working full time. And uh, my background is in financial services marketing. 
and in kind of project management, that sort of thing. So after a few years there, which was alternately, I think, probably the best of times and the worst of times in a lot of ways for me, I we ended up coming back home to Canada. And that was about 10 years ago now, I think. So we moved back home to Canada. My husband went to seminary and then ended up leaving ministry altogether. So he works, you know, in the restoration business now. He's a general manager, you know, has kind of forged a whole new career uh, since then. And I ended up, the whole time uh, I was blogging, I mean, back when, like, we were all on Zanga. Yes. <laughs> and on yes. message board. That's <laughs> right. Live journal. I remember when like the newness of MySpace, right? <laughs> I mean, yes. All of these new, yes, oh, new platforms, new so mediums, funny. all of that. Yes. So funny. And so I was just always blogging and I was working full time and uh, we had our, our children. I have, uh, my eldest is nine now. She, her name is Anne. And then uh, we have Joseph who is seven. And then we have uh, Evelyn Joan, who is four and a half. And we have a brand new baby, not brand new anymore. She's seven months. And her name is Maggie Love. And so in the midst of all that, we had um, some sorrows around, you know, miscarriages and, you know, kind of adjustments to vocation and changes of calling and, you know, identity and all those kinds of things that were sort of swirling in those 10 years. Um, We ended up moving out from the city and moving out to, you know, kind of a smaller city outside of Vancouver. And so now we've kind of hit that point where we're quite settled. I mean, two years ago, I ended up quitting my job. I ended up leaving financial services marketing and going into nonprofit marketing and development. And then I ended up leaving that and like writing a book which was the craziest thing. (laughs) And so that just, you know, now I've kind of, you know, write two days a week and, you know, I'm mostly a stay-at-home mom the rest of kind of that time. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of about it, I guess. That's the highlights anyway, right? That is so... Is there anything I missed? No, I think that's it. (laughs) I was just thinking as we were talking about and planning the show, I feel like I know your whole story, but then I feel like I've just read it and heard you tell it in, in bits and pieces here and there. So I was thinking, I don't know if I've ever heard her give her whole, like, just the linear version. Right. I know. If there's one thing I'm not very good at, it's the linear thing. Yes. (laughs) Well, me neither, frankly. (laughs) So, yeah, that covers the basics and the highlights for sure. So you do have this new baby, Maggie Love, the most precious little darling sweetheart she is. So that is something that I love that we have shared this experience and that you and I both have had new babies come along while we are at the same time mothering our big kids. So Daisy was eight. She was newly eight when the twins arrived and Eliza was uh, five and a half, I guess. And so I think that's about the same age span between Anne and Maggie. Is that right? They were eight and a half years apart. And so when, uh, because I had my first three and four years and then four years later, we had had Maggie. And so Anne was eight, Joe was six, and Evie had, was not, not quite four. She turned four just a couple weeks later. So I know, I mean, I know for me, I could talk a long time about those differences between when you are going through your earliest pregnancies and then here comes along this baby in your, or in our case, two babies. <laughs> Two babies! Two babies! Sometimes Kyle and I still will look at each other and be like, there's there's two of them. It's like that hysterical laugh, you know? Totally. (laughs) Even though they're two and a half, we still look at each other and like, I can't believe we have twins. We have twins. I know. I know. We say that when we realize, like, we can get in the minivan and we're like, there are four children in this minivan. 
Four kids. That's the other thing. Kyle and I text each other back and forth a lot. Four kids is a lot of kids. <laughs> who are these children? Yes. <laughs> who, yes. One of Brian's things is he's always like, who has four children? <laughs> he's like, who does this? Right. Right. <laughs> but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. One of your most beloved, most widely read posts that I have seen shared over and over on social media, I think it hit such a deep note with so many women, was when you wrote about having the ache and that feeling of knowing that uh, you've got your children around you, you've raised them out of infancy and into toddlerhood, and now they're big kids, and just that feeling of seeing little new ones and and wondering if, you know, that will ever happen again or coming to peace with the fact that those baby days are over. I just, oh, I could just cry again thinking about how beautifully (laughs) you wrote about that. Um, And so you had written so wonderfully about that. And then here comes along Maggie as you are um, into your 30s and into this blossoming career that's taking off for you as an author and speaker. So I wondered if you could speak a little bit about that, about the ache, if you think that that is something that will continue to be an issue, even as Maggie grows up and moves into toddlerhood and to childhood or um, how you kind of are navigating those feelings now. Well, you know, it's funny because almost the universal rule is that if you just you know, write something really, you know, almost from your heart that you don't think about very much, that those are the posts that resonate. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I and the ones that, that you true. labor yes. over and like craft, you know, yes. those ones just kind of like nothing. Nothing. Crickets. <laughs> Crickets. You know, I finally had to come to peace with the fact that those that I worked the hardest on, those were actually just for me. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty <laughs> but the, much. Yeah, you're right. The ones that you just kind of sit down and it just flows out and you push it out into the universe. Those are the ones that often people really, I mean, like you said, those are the ones that resonate with so many. They do. And for some reason, that one just really hit a nerve that I was not expecting. I I mean, because for me, I was in a time in my life uh, because of our history with miscarriage. And, you know, I was um, 36 and I, you know, my, my kids were now you know, older, and we were really enjoying that stage. But there was some part of me after Evelyn, and our plan, I'll back up and say, our plan was to have two kids. But because of our experiences, we just kind of ended up being like, we don't really get to plan. We're just right. <laughs> have to get, you so know, just true. kind of re- release that a little bit, right? And so after I had Joseph, just really felt like our family wasn't finished yet, really wanted I was surprised by how much I enjoyed motherhood because I was never someone who was like wanting to be a mom so badly. You know, I quit babysitting when I was 14 because I figured there had to be a better way to make money than that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, like I was never the one who was like, oh, I just want to get married and have babies. And then of course I got married really young and really ended up having my life just completely turned around by being a mom. And so I was like, I really would like to have another baby. And So Evelyn was kind of our just one more. And after that was done, it was like, great, our family is done. We felt a lot of peace about that. And yet there was still something in my heart that was just achy about it. And I started talking to other women in my life. Didn't matter what stage of life they were in. Didn't matter if they were like, you know, my mom's age and they're, you know, late 50s and 60s or, you know, they were my age or if they had six children or one child or whatever. There was just this sense of, wow, that season of my life was, is over. 
And I don't know that you ever really notice that. All of a sudden, the uh, the shift that happens when you're not nursing and pregnant and um, having small babies to care for, it's exhausting in a lot of ways, and yet it's a really tender time in your life. Absolutely. Um, yes, it really is. Like. Yeah, when I think back on it, you just can't even believe that you can still function that exhausted. But yeah, such a precious and like you said, tender. I think that's the best word for it. it season is. of life. And so I wrote this post kind of saying, basically, I think Evelyn was three. And I basically said, you know what, I think that I'm just going to make peace with that ache. I'm just going to recognize the fact that it doesn't mean that I need to have another baby. You know, there's a lot of reasons why we're not. It doesn't mean that I am wrong or that I, you know, our family's not complete or anything else. I think it just means that I'm noticing, that I'm noticing that time is passing, that it's worth noticing, that I'm not grieving as much as I'm honoring. Right. You know, sort of that, that season. And so it just, you know, was so incredibly overwhelmed by the response to it and how many women put their hands up and said, yes, me too, me too, me too, me too. And so... Fast forward six months later, I'm coming out of the bathroom with a pregnancy test going, oh, dear God. (laughs) (laughs) I think Brian and I, like, laughed at each other for almost the first, like, you know, three days. Like, like, are you kidding me? Oh my gosh. But really, you know how all of these things are. And as you shift through seasons of life, like you can't imagine that you're going to be doing all of that. But then all of a sudden you're doing all of that and you just adapt and adjust. And before you know it, it's the new normal. So. And I have to say, I don't know if you found this or not with um, Daisy and AJ, but I have loved bringing home a baby to big kids. Oh gosh, it's the best. Is it not the best? I mean, I can't even tell you. I've had three babies in a very quick succession and it was like just a house full of babies and they all kind of moved as a pack through all the seasons and stages, right? Yes. One after another after another. And now all of a sudden it's like nobody's got their nose out of joint. Nobody's jealous. They're incredibly helpful. And what's more is they're enchanted. Yes. They are absolutely enchanted with Maggie Love. It's like she's holding court in this house every day of her life. <laughs> like she has this little like ring of an audience and they're all, all just like <laughs> adoring her you know, <laughs> at all times. You know, it's quite fun. The empathy and the growth and the change I see in them. It's just been a, a ball. It is so fun, Sarah. And just wait until Maggie is a toddler because I have to say, Watching the way, not only the girls have loved the boys since day one, but now seeing them climbing all over their sisters and hugging on them and playing with them and hearing them laugh as they run around the house, it is something magical. And I am so thankful for it. So thankful. But it ends up feeling like a gift that you kind of give them. It's like probably yes. it's one of the best gifts you, you can give is, is each other. It's, just, it's good. It is good. It is. Thank you so much for sharing those thoughts on mothering. You have written so beautifully about mothering. You've written beautifully about big world issues, about like you like I said earlier, your social justice work, the the things and issues that you are passionate about are a lot of big things. But I'm gonna bring you down to girlfriend chat town. <laughs> I'm so I'm so glad. <laughs> yes. It was really important to Laura and I as we talked about on the beauty show to just really affirm the fact that you can have really big feelings about really big issues, but also really be passionate about your favorite lipstick. So speaking of that, let's just start right there. <laughs> Laura and I did recently share our favorite lipstick choices and some other beauty choices. I would love to hear from you about your favorite lip color. What's your go-to lipstick as you are headed out of the house? 
Well, you know, I am someone who really does require lipstick every day. I am Scotch Irish, and so I am just like clear. <laughs> <laughs> and so mascara has to happen, or else I look like a shark. Yep. You me know? Too. And so me lipstick too. has to happen. At all. So I actually go for like those long lasting ones, the 16 hour ones. Ah, okay. Um, and I'm a drugstore brand girl. I okay. don't, I'm not a into fan, you know, I don't do a lot of the fancy things yet. I haven't quite grown up enough for all of that. But I do one from uh, Rimmel London. Oh, yeah. uh, Rimmel London, London. And it's I can't, can't remember what the it's. Um, I want to say Provocalypse. Ooh, and sounds so, intriguing. I uh, know, and so I usually go for more a plum shade. I think it's um, I think it's number two thirty okay. is what it what it is. But basically, you put it on, and then you just kind of refresh with like the gloss throughout the day as you kind of go through or whatever. And I find that probably one of my most helpful things. <laughs> I always just definitely needed it, need it in the morning and probably, you know, everybody's thankful for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to look that one up because I love a plum lipstick too. That's been one of my favorite color families for lipsticks for years. So oh, I will... Actually, you and I both sure. um, like the Clinique one. Yes. The, uh, what is it called? The Dif- grape one. Different grape. Thank yes. you. Yes. I love that one too for my, my short term lipstick. Yes. If I don't need to like shellac it on for <laughs> right. 16 hours, then I like the Clinique <laughs> different grape. <laughs> it's a good one. I'm telling you. Okay. So what do you think as you think back on, gosh, from teenage years onward, what is the beauty product that you have used the longest that you feel most loyal to through the years? Oh, this is hands down easiest question. Noxzema. Really? You're a Noxzema girl. I love it. Oh my gosh. My mom used Noxzema my whole childhood. And it is one of the most comforting smells to me is my mom would always come and tuck us in. She'd have a bath in the evening and she would come and she would always smell like Noxzema. And so as soon as I started washing my face when I was 11 or 12 every night, it was with Noxzema. I still wash my face with Noxzema every day. And I think that it is like one of the great comfort smells of my life. <laughs> that is interesting. You know, and, and the funny thing is, is that, you know, there's a lot, I've tried different things here and there. I'd be like, oh, you know, I should probably grow out of it or whatever else. And honestly, I just still love it. I still love it, still use it all the time. There is something about that, the old favorites. And like you said, I think that the smell, just like the experience of it, it's a huge part. So it is. I think that my children will probably say that their mom always smelled like Nugsy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That is funny. I did not expect you to say that, but your skin is always gorgeous. So I mean, that is a, a ringing endorsement for Noxima right there. <laughs> I know it's quite funny because people will often, you know, say that I don't look quite old enough to to be have all the children I have or that I do everything else. And I'm like, it's Noxzema. It's Noxzema. <laughs> and the fact that I don't go in the sun because I burn. Yes. 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 Oh my gosh, how much regret do I have over the time I spent in tanning oh. beds when I was younger? Why did I do that? That was one thing Oklahoma did to me. I tried tanning beds because all the girls in Oklahoma were all so all of us all the tanning beds, and I was like okay, I need a tanning bed and I need some fake nails if I'm going to be doing this oaky thing. Oh my gosh. And so I did it. And honestly, in my wedding picture, I'm like orange. (laughs) (laughs) I have never been that color before. I have never been that color since. Gosh, I know. I look at pictures. I look at especially my prom pictures because we would start weeks out tanning for prom. And I'm like, I don't, how am I even, that's not even possibly me. I know it's not been Photoshopped, (laughs) but that is not a natural color for me at all. We just would lay in there for 30 minutes. Oh, 
little jolly. On. Yes. <laughs> oh, man, the things we did before we knew any better. I know. I know. <laughs> Yes. Sometimes the girls will ask me about, you know, we'll drive by and see because they're, you know, people still tan here and they'll ask about tanning salons and I'm like, they are evil. You will never. (laughs) (laughs) Run away. Run Run away. away. Okay. Well, because you have gotten to experience um, a lot of different cultures and a lot of different world viewpoints, when it comes to being Canadian, because I mean, some of the first words out of your mouth were that you are Canadian. <laughs> what is, what's one of your, the best parts about being Canadian? What is something that you, as you think about, you know, your own uh, connection to the country and culture there, what's one of the best parts for you? Oh, that, that's another good question. You're good at this, Megan. It's almost like you'd be doing this. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I could put my first thing that jumped in my head was a joke was to say, you know, it was like, I love that we have universal health care and more reasonable public discourse. <laughs> and I would agree wholeheartedly with both of those. <laughs> no, there's a lot of things like from a functional perspective that I love about, you know, being in Canada that were a contributing factor for us wanting to make our home here. You know, of course, the healthcare system is, you know, we feel in our experiences with it have been amazing. Um, you know, we have a year of maternity leave, right? Yes. Very supportive a very family focused, uh, environment. Um, you know, but I love the people and I love, um, you know, the pace of it. I love the space. Yeah. It's just, it's got, it's just definitely home in a, in a lot of different ways, but I think that that's, you know, I have found that, um, you know, so many areas of our life, we kind of almost live our metaphors pretty effortlessly at times. Sure. And for me, I have found it, whether it's in my spirituality or whether it's in anywhere, I like a little bit of room. You know, I, I struggle against really tight boundaries and really, you know, narrow, narrow things. I really kind of kick against it. So I love the idea of being on kind of like the edge in the West, you know, this youth and energy and optimism, and yet this really deep connection with the land and with people. And I don't know, I think there's a lot of things about you know, being Canadian that are just wonderful, right? Whether that's hockey or, you know, whatever else. I mean, just culturally, even all those things are are good for me. Oh, good. I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing those insights (laughs) into your attachment. And I think it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. (laughs) I always feel really um, proud to be Canadian when it's like election times. Oh, gosh, yes. We're on the parliamentary system. And so we only we when we have an election called, it's not at a set time. And so it's like we go from the election is called to actually having someone elected in six weeks. Oh, my <laughs> so, gosh. You know, we have our, our uh, federal election is on this Monday. And the election was just called a few weeks ago. It's like I don't have to put up with these people. Yes. You know, for this whole, like, two- or three-year cycle, like, you know, a lot of oh. Americans do. It's like we just have six weeks, we deal with it, and then everybody get back to work. <laughs> that sounds so dreamy right now. I'm telling you, you can imagine already my Facebook feed is making me feel so tense when I'm, I'm just sure. like, oh, and it's only 2015. We have so much to go. <laughs> so a long cycle, right? It's it just, wow. It is. Uh, one thing that you do not have in Canada that I know you have a fondness for is Sonic, which oh. <laughs> I can only imagine you were introduced to during your time in Tulsa. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there are so many great gifts 
of yes. Oklahoma and Texas, and I could list them for days. I have not had decent Tex-Mex or margarita since I left. Right, right. Yes, left. yes, yes. Well, for those of you who also live somewhere that is Sonic-less, Sonic is a sort of iconic fast food drive-in type place that originated in Oklahoma. It's kind of spread throughout the country. But Sarah, I know you have been known to, when the when the need strikes, have been known to drive down across the border and... <laughs> make a stealthy sonic run totally did there's one nearby seattle and i know i kid you not i loaded three toddlers in the car and i drove <laughs> four hours over the border to get a lemonberry slush <laughs> that is one of my favorite stories about you of all time because <laughs> i mean my devotion to sonic is also strong that i don't even know if i could drive four well, hours round trip for a sonic been a trip. long time and i was like you know what I feel like I cannot bear it if I do not eat cater tots. <laughs> cannot bear it if I do not have some deep fried cheese. <laughs> I mean, I mean, where else can you go? So tell us some of your favorites from the Sonic menu. So I heard you say uh, lemonberry slash, which those are fantastic. Lemonberry slash. Yeah. I also love their Diet Coke with vanilla because oh. the ice at Sonic is amazing. The right? It's a really Sonic. teeny tiny little ice and it's just like... It I is, never have had that anywhere else. It is some kind of magic. The ice is there. Yes, yes, yes. I like a Diet Coke. This is so weird, but I like a Diet Coke with chocolate. With chocolate? I've never tried that one. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I wouldn't steer you wrong on that. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I would definitely trust that. You know, I would kind of get a little bit overwhelmed sometimes when I go to Sonic. Yeah. Now, like when we go to Omaha to visit my husband's family, I'm always like, when are we going to Sonic? <laughs> so we go find a Sonic in Omaha somewhere and I'm like, peanut butter milkshakes? I don't understand oh. these things. Like I can't even bring myself to try the peanut butter bacon milkshake. They've I can't gone. get there. They've gone way over the top on the milkshake menu. They have. I was like, I don't understand things. I think I'm no. getting old. <laughs> no, it's not just you. Even okay. even here in Oklahoma, we're looking at each other like, what, peanut butter bacon milkshake? I don't, this isn't natural. This isn't right. <laughs> this isn't natural. This isn't right. Give me some fried food. <laughs> some onion rings and I'll be good. <laughs> Deep fry something in batter and coat it in cheese like God intended. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. Okay. Well, speaking of things that are maybe not the best for us, you had talked about Netflix and I know that you, as many others, do enjoy a good binge watch of a series, whether it's on Netflix or wherever. What are some of your favorites that you are always talking about to other people that you have sat down and just plowed through the whole series? Oh, well, this will be zero surprise to anybody who has, you know, even glimpsed at my Twitter feed or my website, Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Doctor Who is my, you know, unreasonable love affair show. And I'm not someone who, for those people who don't know, it's a BBC show. And it's been around for probably about, you know, 63 years, 64 years, something like that. Really popular, long time ago, went off the air for a while and just got rebooted in 2005. And so it's, the premise of the show is that you travel through time and space with the Doctor and he has companions and they have adventures and all these kinds of things. I am not a sci-fi person. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've tried my level best to enjoy sci-fi in other capacities because people swear that the storytelling is is just phenomenal, like mm -hmm. Battlestar Galactica or whatever else. Right. I'm not into it. I'm more, <laughs> I'm more of like a period drama. Right. Like I know you love Call the Midwife too. I do. And... I love Call the Midwife. I love Downton Abbey. I love, um, you know, Jane Austen movies. I, you know, anything along those lines. Period dramas are definitely my favorite. 
And yet I just like lost my mind yeah. over this challenge. <laughs> and I am still just as obsessed, you know, years later where I not only did I like binge watch, you know, 10 years worth of television <laughs> right. in a very short amount of time, which like should never be done. <laughs> but then I was like down the rabbit hole where I was, I can spider web connections and theories. I started writing like yes. yeah, stuff on my blog about like, here's how this connects to this storyline and what's happening here. And this, you know, it is the level of uh, devotion that yes. requires is like probably alarming to a lot of people and yet I do so that is my show even now when I am you know not feeling well or I'm just really wanting to just like veg out for the tv I go back and rewatch favorite episodes yeah yes. so that's that's definitely mine I know, you have, I know you have this undying love for it and and we've talked about this I've given it a go a few times and I just I don't know I have not been able to uh to get myself lost in it so Oh, and that's what's so funny is that, you know, I ended up actually writing sort of a beginner's guide to yes. that can be really overwhelming at first. You don't right. know what's going on and what the TARDIS is and all this other stuff. Right. And yet I feel like it's just one of those things where it's like either it happens or it doesn't. Sure. You know, it's like yes. that, right? Yes. You're just where sometimes it just clicks and sometimes it doesn't. And I have other shows that people have watched that they feel that way about. And yet I was like, watched it and I was like, man, I get it. Yes. You know, and so... I I think that this is one of those shows where it's like if you get it you like really 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 yes. get it. <laughs> if oh, you don't you're totally. like yeah. you know that's how to this day that's how I feel about Lost which was only six right. seasons doesn't have quite the um, long range uh, narrative going on that Doctor Who has but I mean to this day I can sit and talk Lost theories and favorite moments and favorite episodes and all of that exactly. stuff so yeah. Exactly. You know, it's kind of those multi-layered, multifaceted yes. shows where everything connects to something. It's like somebody can sit down and watch it and enjoy it, but people who have watched it for a long time, mm -hmm. it's like it's like a feast. It is. <laughs> it is. So I know you love Doctor Who. Would you consider – I wouldn't consider that really to be a guilty pleasure, though, because it's quite intellectual. At least the things I've read that you've written about, I was like, this is very, like, there's a lot going on here. But do you have a sort of guilty pleasure that you're across the spectrum of pop culture that you maybe feel a little bit sheepish about how big of a fan of it you are? I love chiclet. So fun. In fact, my awesome of the week was almost a chiclet book that I'm almost done. And that's why I didn't. I Which did, one is it? It is The Royal We. Have you read that? I love that book. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's so fun. I'm almost done. Almost done. So uh, I can't wait to get to the end of it. But yeah, I love a good chiclet oh, book. What are some of the I read so much deep, you know, theological, yes. blah, blah, kind of stuff. And I overthink everything, as you and I both know. And so... For me, I love having like just good novels. I yes. love a good novel. And so, you know, I chiclet sometimes it can steer into like the really saccharine, ridiculous kind of stuff. But I like a good like women's novel, really, you know, right. like not just not just the the sudsy stuff, although I'm not above that. <laughs> I, mean, I am the same way in that I I actually prefer nonfiction. I read a lot of nonfiction, but it's a lot of usually like heavy stuff. And I like that. I like to be challenged by the real life stories and real life issues at play. So I'm the same way. When I pick up fiction, I just want a little bit of a brain vacation. So I love like women in fiction. I love women's relationships in fiction, but I, I particularly love British chiclet. Yes. 
I don't know what it is about that, but for some reason it just, or Australian. Australians I find very really mm. good fiction as well. I'll have to check <laughs> into that genre. I don't know that I've read any Australian chick lit, so I will have to check that out for sure. It's a delight. I love a good happy ending. Yes. I do. I do. I just love a good happy ending. I'm like, you know what? I've got enough going on and enough things <laughs> that have, you know, so much of our life, I feel like whether it's because you're a writer or because you're a mom or because of even just, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, you know, so much of your life feels like, you know, what Eugene Peterson called a long obedience in the same direction. Yes. And so sometimes I'm like, I just want to read a good novel quickly and have it end well. Yes. <laughs> just be able to step back and be like, Oh, that was satisfying. Okay, on to the next. Yes, I totally get it. Totally get it. Speaking of books, as you think about your library of books, is there a book that you find you return to over and over for a reread every now and again? Oh, absolutely. I am, you know, I I love my books. Um, I actually did a post one time about the books I reread over and over again, because I don't actually buy a book until I've read it. Oh, interesting. Usually I read a book from the library or from borrowing from a friend. And if I love it, I buy it so that I can mark it up to my heart's content. And, you know, dog ear pages, I am, my sister hates borrowing books from me because they just, you know, (laughs) look like they've been through like a grade 10 English class seven times. (laughs) And so my favorites that I reread over and over, um, Jane Eyre is one of them. Mm -hmm. I love Jane Eyre. And every time I read it, I get something new out of it. Uh, To Kill a Mockingbird is another one. Yeah that I reread over and over. Um, it was quite funny because it's one of my favorite books and my husband does not read fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, he tends to be more of like a, you know, if I'm not learning something, what's the purpose here? Right. <laughs> and so, but I finally convinced him to give it a go and to try reading To Kill a Mockingbird. I was like, I cannot believe that you managed to go through higher education in the United States of America and never were compelled to read this novel. Yes. And so we read it, and it was right around Christmas time, and uh, he was just kind of finishing it off. And all of a sudden, we looked around. It was like Christmas Day. We were like, where's Brian? I can't really find him anywhere. And all of a sudden, we, I go upstairs, and I find him in the bedroom, like, with the last chapter, oh. <laughs> finishing it off. He's like, he looks up at me, and he goes, Boo Radley. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, that's kind of precious. I love that moment. <laughs> oh, To Kill a Mockingbird is one of them. Jane Eyre. Um, one of my favorite authors is Alan Montgomery, who wrote the Anna Green sure, Gables book. Yes, yes. So there's a little known novel of hers that was for adults called The Blue Castle that is kind of like that genre chiclet thing that we were talking about of, you know, great story, fantastic, eccentric characters. And then it just is such a good ending. And it's just very satisfying. It's one of those novels I love to read in like, at an evening in the wintertime. And just, it's it's just so good. I love that one. Love it. Love it. That is a great list. And I will for sure get your post about the ones that you return to and pop that into the show notes so others can peek into your shelves and see what you what your dog-eared <laughs> favorites are for sure. Um, another thing that you and I have in common is I think we both have a deep um, appreciation for and even a craving for the daily routines of life, just the life in ordinary time and little rituals along the way. So as you think about your day-to-day life there in your cute little home in Western Canada, what are some of your favorite daily rituals? Well, you know, I, it's funny. I think one of the books that really changed my life actually was written by Kathleen Norris, yes. and it's called The Quotidian Mysteries. I was yeah. going to mention okay. that. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, right? Laundry, Liturgy, and mm-hmm. Women's Work. Yes. That's, I love it. 
And that is something that I found so true in my life that just, you know, the mystery of finding God, that God is hiding sort of in your everyday right now life, that you don't have to pick up and go somewhere. It doesn't have to be, you know, an eat, pray, love sort of scenario that really you can find God as you're doing laundry, as you're kind of moving through your life. So for me, some of the rituals that like I really love to do just more because they center me, um, they think, you know, I make a pot of tea every day. Yes. I love to have, you know, good loose leaf real tea, um, you know, make a nice pot of tea and have that kind of a kind of work on as I go through my day. Um, you know, I really enjoy homemaking. I know not everybody does, but for me, whenever I feel kind of off kilter or I feel um, like, particularly when I have like writer's block even, mm-hmm. or when I feel even separated from God, or like I've forgotten how to pray or any of those things, I find that engaging in regular, ordinary work, cleaning my house, cooking a meal, going for a long walk in the evening, those tactile real things connect me more to the deep spiritual things than almost any big mountaintop Jesus-y lights thing ever could. I am so right there with you. I wrote about this years ago, but uh, for many years, we lived in a house that didn't have a dishwasher and doing dishes by hand was that sort of centering thing for me. And, you know, I sometimes still do that. Even though we do have a dishwasher, we have a lot of kids and go through a lot of dishes. So sometimes (laughs) I'm washing dishes in the middle of the day. And that is such a calming and, and really profoundly spiritual experience for me. And I know it sounds crazy to say out loud, but just the slowing down and the sensation of it all. And just being able to stand at your kitchen sink and meet God there has been a really powerful centering moment in my life. So anything that kind of slows us down does that, right? Anything that kind of makes you just instead of just hopping and and being able things that stop you from multitasking. Right. Right. And I think those are, are good things no matter what they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of good things in your life, Sarah, you are one of the people I think of often who has really embraced nurturing and caring for your introverted nature. Uh, You do a lot of things out in the public with writing and speaking, and I know you're getting ready to travel. You're in the season of traveling, and um, a lot of that connected to the release of your book, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, you're doing lots of podcasts, so you're out and engaging and having to extrovert all over the place right now, I know. But I also know you're really thoughtful and intentional about caring for your introversion. So for those who are listening, who are fellow introverts as you are, what are some of the things that you do that are sort of your best practices for that recovery time that all introverts need to be healthy? Yeah, it's, you know, it is sometimes a battle, uh, for sure. Uh, And there's times where I go through seasons where it's, you know, has to go for a sustained amount of time. I mean, especially because I mean, I don't know if anybody else finds this, but I find it being an introvert and being a mother of a lot of really loud children. (laughs) Listen, (laughs) listen, I'm an extrovert and being a mom of a lot of kids. Uh, By the end of the day, I'm like, please help me find quiet. (laughs) I'm gonna hide under the covers for an hour before I go to sleep. I love all of you. Stop talking. Yes. I don't know how I managed to have four children who are just relentlessly sociable, but <laughs> there it is. Um, so, I mean, for me, a lot of times um, I actually guard my time pretty pretty closely. And so I have had to learn the hard way that I can't do everything sure. because otherwise I just turn into just this shadow self that is hardly even recognizable. I mean, 
I feel like when my introversion is off, those shadow sides really get very close to the surface. And so it's like, if I find that I'm kind of tiptoeing into that a lot, it's like, okay, I pretty much know what, what the problem is here. And so, you know, on a daily like on a macro level, like I don't say yes to a lot of things. Right. And I know that goes kind of counter to sometimes how you feel like you should be as a woman. But I mean, you know, like a lot of things in Christmas in church, you know, people will say, you know, well, you've got to do this and that and do the home group or life group, connect group, whatever it is that people want to call it, um, you know, and the mom and tots group and the this and the prayer team, whatever else. And so when things are busy in my work life, I can't do all the other things. My dad is an introvert as well. And I remember him once telling me that he can do two things well oh, that's at a good. time. Yes. And I've really taken that to heart where I've said, you know what, I can do two things well at a time. And so right now that thing is my family and it is my work. Yeah. And all the other stuff is great and it's wonderful, but this is not my season where I can give myself fully over to all the other things all the time. And so those other things have to fit around the other two things I want to do well. (laughs) Some people do a lot of things well, I am not one of them. And so I just try to focus on the two things that I can do well. And then in times when, for instance, like I'm not releasing a book, and I'm not, you know, speaking a lot or traveling a lot, then those are my times where I really ratchet up, you know, like my other aspects of my life or community side of things or whatever else. It's like those things kind of come and go and shifts and ebbs and flows. I guess there's a lot more liminal space, I think, in those areas than there is anything else. But on a daily basis, you know, I, one of the things that was a struggle for me is that I'm, I'm a huge morning person. I love the morning. I am an annoying morning person. I would- <laughs> <laughs> me too. It is just awful. <laughs> so, that is like my prime time. But unfortunately, all my children are early birds as well. Yes. And so it's like if I get up early because I want to, you know, study or read or have a cup of tea and watch the news even and eat my toast, um, you know, they're there, you know, all the time. And so I've had to readjust when I find my alone time. And so one of the things I found um, is usually when Maggie has her nap, I have zero guilt about turning on a TV show for the other ones and going into my room with a novel for like 30 minutes. So good. Yes. (laughs) And just being like. All of you are here. I'm glad that you're mature and wonderful. And here's some snacks. And here's a lovely television show. And the baby is sleeping. And if anybody comes near her room, there will be trouble. (laughs) And mom is going to go downstairs with her Diet Coke or her cup of tea. And she's going to read the Blue Castle again. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. That's so funny. I haven't thought about this in a long time, but when the twins were babies, we had a standing policy in this house that was called, if you wake them, you take them. So if one of the girls was responsible for waking someone up from a nap, they got to be babysitter for a while. So, I am absolutely going to take you up on that. Yes. Yes. So I think that is so good. I think sometimes it is just a matter of looking around at your life in the reality that it is right now, whatever that looks like, whether you're at home with kids or whether you work an office job all day or whatever your life looks like and recognizing, you know, for me to be my best for all of these people around me, I have got to steal away somewhere and have this recovery time. And it's really to everyone's benefit if you can allow me to do this. So 
It is. It's a huge thing. You know, and the other thing that I do is I really keep my evenings to me and my husband. So it's really tempting. I think when you're a mom of, of especially a lot of young children to be like, I'll do all the work in the evening when they go to bed. So that's when I'll go get my groceries. That's when I'll clean the house. That's when I'll clean the kitchen up. That's when I'll pay the bills. That's when I'll run errands and do whatever as much as I possibly can. I try to squeeze the living and the running of our life into the time when my kids are awake. (laughs) And yes. so they come along with me to the grocery store or they can come along with me when we go to the bank and we do all the things that we need to do. And then that way, when they go to bed, I don't have a long list of things I'm needing to accomplish. And instead, I'm able to sit down with my novel or with my book and, you know, a little bowl of popcorn or, you know, Brian, and I can watch even Jimmy Fallon and just, yes. you know, chill out for an hour before bed. But I feel like if I was going 100 miles an hour from the time my feet hit the floor till the time I got back into bed and then had to repeatedly get out of bed as I look after the baby during the night, I don't think I can do it. So that trying to fit as much of my running of my life and phone calls and everything else and whatever else to the daytime and then having that hour and a half or two hours in the evening to just chill is yes. pretty big. Yes, I love it. Those are really great practical suggestions for people who are also introverted to be able to protect and to recharge. It's more than just protecting that time. It's really that is where you are getting that energy fired back up to take on what is facing you. So that is excellent. Thank you so much for sharing what that looks like for you. We did mention that your newest book is coming out on November 3rd. I wanted to say just quickly before we move into talking about that, that Jesus Feminist, your first book, and I know this is going to really embarrass you and you're not going to want me to say this, but I'm saying it anyway. (laughs) As I look to the books that have most profoundly shaped my belief system, have reignited my hope and my idealism moving forward, Jesus Feminist is absolutely at the top of that list. I have read it. That's one of the books for me that is underlined and dog-eared. And and I love reading the pages, not just because you're a dear friend, but because the message of it put together so much of what I kind of always hoped and dreamed and believed was true, but I just, I didn't have the vocabulary for it. And coming from um, the denomination I came from where women were definitely, I mean, there was not any sort of outward um, aggression towards women or anything like that. But a lot of the women's roles were relegated to the nursery and to the little kids Sunday school classes. And those are important in any church, important for all of the church body to come together to fulfill those roles. But the way Jesus Feminist unlocked so many truths about God's heart for women and the role of women in the kingdom, it is a fantastic book and, and one that I think of often. And it's so important as I think about my children and how I want them to grow into these Jesus feminist ways as they get older. So I have to say that about Jesus feminist. If you haven't, if you're listening and you haven't read it, it is well worth the time. But so here we are on the cusp of the release of Out of Sorts, which you have kind of referred to or maybe intimated may be a memoir of uh, a recovering (laughs) (laughs) know-it-all. And I want to let you speak a little bit about the book, but something I would love to hear is kind of if you could trace for us the path of how Out of Sorts came together. And then as you have heard back from readers, whether they were uh, colleagues who are writing endorsements for the book or reviewers, or I know you have a launch team of passionate fans who have been getting the word out about Out of Sorts, some of the feedback that you're hearing about the book that maybe has surprised even you as the author of Out of Sorts. So let's start back a little ways. Where did this idea come from and how did it come together? 
Well, well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for what you said about, about course, Jesus feminist. I, of course. Yeah. I just, I love that little yellow book still. Yes. It is still just so dear to my heart. And I just feel like it just went out into the world and I just could not have loved it more. And then seeing where it goes, I just am so, oh, just always amazed. But anyway, thank you. Thank yes. you for that. Um, so Out of Sorts uh, came about really, you know, as I was kind of shepherding the message of Jesus Feminist and, and traveling and meeting with people, uh, because for me, that that book was less about, you know, an argument for Christian feminism than it was, for me, sort of this love letter almost from the other side of, um, you know, a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like when we are working together, of what that means, of what that wholeness, you know, kind of feels like and smells like. And so as I was kind of traveling and speaking to people, it was funny to me how often, you know, after, you know, we kind of had our conversations and we would do a Q&A, 99% of the time people would ask me, but how come you go to church still? Ah, <laughs> Isn't that funny? Interesting. Yes. It is. Just the amount of, um, of angst and pain and uh, struggle and doubt that people had about, um, you know, intentional Christian community, the baggage that they had, the experiences. Um, and so many times people would say, you know, that that was the part of the book that they almost, you know, questioned the most where they were like, you kind of said it, but then you kind of carried on because that obviously wasn't what the book was about. And they were wondering how and why and what does that mean and and what you know why why do you go to church what do you what does this even mean, and so for me I started kind of kicking around that idea and I began to realize that you know so much of our life is is like that that we you know if you can kind of look at uh, Phyllis Tickle uh, kind of called it like a rummage sale yeah uh, she's a theologian and um, just passed away recently amazing woman of God and she talks about the fact that the church as a whole like the universal church kind of goes through this rummage sale every 500 years or so where we figure out what we're going to keep figure out what we're going to get rid of and so in my head I began to realize that I had that we were because we are all the church I mean all of us who who follow Jesus are we are all doing that you know at, at so many points in our lives this isn't something in my life that I you know resolved and then moved on that this is we are always evolving that just as Jesus you know never changes that he's the same yesterday today and forever but we are constantly changing in response to that um, and shifting and growing um, I don't know about anybody else but I look back on some of the opinions and things that I believed so passionately oh um, you know 20 <laughs> 15 10 years ago even sometimes a year ago and I'm like oh dear God <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And those are good things, you know, to have that kind of evolution and shifting. But what's funny to me is how little we shepherd and talk about that season of our lives. You know, for a lot of us, we go through seasons of uh, what I kind of call a wilderness, where we feel like we are between. Uh, We aren't who we were. And oftentimes there is grief that is attendant to that shift, right? I mean, it happens, you know, you sort on usually the threshold of change. Something's changed in your life. You've experienced something, some circumstance, something has changed. And so you find yourself kind of launched into this season of thinking, well, now what? I don't know what I think about this. And I don't know what I think about that. And what I think about church and the Bible and people. And what does it mean for the world? And what is my place in it? And what does it mean to if I feel called? Is this, you know, what is all these different things? And it can feel like you're just kind of wandering, you know, in that season. And, uh, and so I was really wanting to write a book for people that were in the middle, you know, that weren't quite sorted out yet, that felt like they needed permission to embark on some wandering, 
that they needed some permission to say, you know, you get to question and you get to ask and you are not going to find the peace and wholeness that you are looking for with spiritual or intellectual dishonesty. You need to lean into those places because the spirit may very well be breathing in them. That is so good. I love what you said about needing permission because I think sometimes as we do, I mean, it's a perfectly natural and normal and good, healthy thing to move through those sorting seasons, but it can be so frightening and so unsteady. And so for somebody to just, to, like you said, I love that phrase, to shepherd you through it, to say, this is a good part of the growth of your faith and let's walk through it together. I love that idea. Totally. And so in the book, I ended up, you know, kind of, you know, talking about how we shift and change and grow, obviously. But, you know, I even go through, you know, 10 or 11 areas in my life where, you know, I used to think this and then I went, you know, now I think this. And, you know, but for me, it's not really a book about making sure everybody lands on the same opinions as me. Sure. Uh, You know, I'm not quite that uh, convinced of my own rightness anymore. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm quite sure I might be wrong in some areas. Um, you know, but for me, it's more about like, here's how the process looks and here's where the things that matter to me and here's the things that, that shift and change. It's definitely more of a, more of a vulnerable book, more of a, you know, storytelling book, I suppose, than Jesus Feminist was for sure. Right. I love that. So tell me about the response so far. It's not even out yet, but I know you've been hearing back from people. What has surprised you in, in the midst of the response? You know, I think one of the things that has surprised me is that, well, first of all, I thought I thought that it would ignite more discussion about the actual topics, because oh. I was a little bit worried that people would be like, oh, well, here's what she thinks about the Bible. And, you know, is this really line up with what I've been, you know, but instead, I feel like people have really actually caught the heart of the book. Oh, good. Um, and so that has been, you know, a huge, huge gift for me to to hear that I have been um, really surprised how many people have read it that are still very much in that in between space and mm. feel like this is just like a breath of fresh air oh, um, for them and, and a bit of sustenance, right? When you're kind of in that space of like nothing fits and nothing belongs, um, you know, it's a it's a difficult place to be in. And I think the other thing I'd be surprised about, or not surprised, but I, I find surprises people when they're talking about the book is that it's, people will assume, well, it's for that time in your 20s, you know, when you are doing that. But the truth is, is that I have heard from people that are 85. Oh, wow, yeah. In their 60s and 40s, and like, just this huge spectrum of generations, men and women, that I don't think that this is a process that's kind of like a one and done. I think it's something that we go through, and I will probably go through at many other times. I'll probably circle back on this book in 10 years and be like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) And that's okay. (laughs) It is. It is okay. I mean, just when I think it's some of the opinions I held most strongly and passionately when I was in my 20s. Now I'm looking back, you know, as I approach 40 and go, wow, I've changed a lot. (laughs) Catalog of right answers has gotten smaller by the year, for sure. And the things that I'm like, this is a hill to die on. Like those hills have disappeared one after another after another. And so, you know, then that question for me, you know, a big part of my own journey was, um, you know, I kind of started off in this one one place in in a Christian tradition or in in um, you know my belief system, and then walked entirely away from it. 
you know, I didn't go to church for six years. I went into very different traditions and, and faiths and explored and whatever else. But then the weirdest and most wonderful thing was all I ended up doing was returning right back to where I started. Right. And in so many ways, we kind of corkscrew as, you know, around the same stories. Sure. Uh, but we just return and we see it with new eyes, right? We see it for the first time. Yes. As uh, I think it was Richard Rohr that said that, that you return just to see it for the first time. Well, no, it was Yates. I can't remember. <laughs> I should have written that down. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I know that this message is going to resonate so strongly with so many. Like I said, it comes out on November 3rd. It's available for pre-order. I know on Amazon right now, are there other places where people could pre-order yeah, pretty much everywhere. I think, okay. you know, in Canada chapters and there's book depository. It'll be out in the UK on the 2nd, I think, okay. of November. Uh, but pretty much anywhere books are sold, it's all it's all there. I love it. I love it. Well, Sarah, for those of you uh, who may not know where to find Sarah, can you tell us where we can find you talking about Doctor Who and other things all around the web? Jesus and Doctor Who. <laughs> um, so I'm at sarahbessie.com. Uh, Sarah's with an H and Bessie is uh, E-Y at the end. It sounds like the cow, but it's not spelled like it. <laughs> and uh, Sarah Bessie on uh, Twitter and on Instagram and on Pinterest and then on uh, Facebook as well to Sarah Bessie uh, pretty much everywhere. So, yeah. All right, Sarah, I know that you gave up some very critical nap time from the baby today to be on the show. So thank <laughs> you so much again for coming on the show and sharing your heart and sharing all of this fun stuff and as well as some of the serious stuff. I am so looking forward to this next book launch for you. So thank you again for coming on today. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed myself immensely. It's so fun. I just so enjoy this podcast. It's oh, just- good. Yes, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, just as a reminder, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. You can also find the show on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. Thanks for joining us today at Sorta Awesome. Show notes for this and every episode are available at sortaawesomemegan.tumblr.com. You can also sign up for the show's newsletter, which includes extra tidbits of awesome by going to tinyletter.com slash sortaawesome. Do you have feedback on the show or a question you want us to answer? Maybe you just want to say hi? You can email me anytime at sortaawesomemegan at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, it would be incredibly awesome if you would subscribe, rate, and review the show in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Have to give a shout out to the band Prager for allowing us to use the song Strut for our in and out music. To find out more about Prager's nasty beats and pretty chords, go to pragermusic.com. And I'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.